Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. It's Palm Sunday. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he still sits on the throne today. We're so very glad to be with you this morning. Thank you for all of you that are joining us and have been joining us. I pray that you have been enriched by the word that we've given them, the wonderful praise and worship that we have enjoyed. Thank you to our group that comes each week, sacrifices their time and comes and presents God's beautiful, beautiful music. We're so glad to be with you again this morning. I have just a couple of things, I, uh, a couple of announcements, a couple of things I want to share with you this week. I think it's important as your pastor to continue uh, to keep in touch and to let you know uh, the wonderful things that God is doing and, and the, the good word, the good news, if you will, and, uh, and just continue to encourage you as we continue to transver- uh, excuse me, transverse this uh, crisis that we're involved in at the moment. Uh, but I want you to know that it's not taking people down. It's not, uh, uh, it has not uh, laid waste uh, to our enthusiasm and to our excitement for serving God. I've spoken to many of our congregation. If I haven't reached you yet, uh, I'm getting there. Uh, I try to, to, to reach out and call and talk with uh, folks from our church and other people that I know uh, encourage. I, I just want you to know I'm so thrilled by the conversations that I've had, the number of people who are in great spirits, they're in great faith. Uh, they have what they need. Uh, their health is strong. Uh, the church as a whole is, is in great health. Uh, we, we do not have uh, any that are, have succumbed to the recent challenges. Uh, we do still continue to pray for our good brother, Brother Steve W., and his wife, Becky. Uh, Steve is, is undergoing some chemotherapy treatment uh, right now, and that's challenging for him, but his prognosis is great. His faith is strong. He's a good man, and uh, each time I speak with him, he's got great words, and uh, he's going to get through that thing. Uh, so continue to pray for Brother Steve. Happy birthday to Sister Becky also last week, Thursday, I believe it was. And, uh, and just if you get a chance, give them a call continue to encourage them as well because we love them and uh, we want to see them through that. But other than that, uh, we, we are strong in health, strong in, in courage, in our demeanor. Uh, people are encouraged and uh, again, as I said, continue to be faithful and I'm very glad for that. I want to say thank you this morning to our children's church team. Uh, 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 Brother Ron and Sister Jenny uh, put together a, a great video message for the young people this morning, and I hope you had a chance to tune into that. It was excellent. I got to see the preview of it uh, last night, and it was wonderful. Uh, just a reminder, uh, continue, please continue to remember that we, we worship God also in our giving. Those principles have not changed. Uh, we still need to continue to honor God in our first fruits and the blessings that he's provided us. Uh, the other great message that I've heard from most in our church, unless I've missed somebody, uh, we're all working. And uh, I don't know of many that have been laid off at all, maybe a slight reduction in hours. Uh, but again, God has continued to protect our church and keep our folks working, and, and that's excellent. I know sometimes the temptation might be to reserve a little bit, to be a little cautious. Uh, we don't know what's coming down the road, but be faithful. God will honor all that you do. Continue to plant good seeds, and good crop will come up. You will reap what you sow. In Jesus' name. Again, just a quick reminder, this Wednesday, April 8th, 
uh, we're going to have a little uh, something I call an evening with the pastor, almost a fireside chat. I thought that would be a nice, uh, light way to enter into uh, the Easter season and then connect with you as well on a personal basis, at least as personal as I can. And, and so continue to email your questions in. I've gotten a, a very small few uh, to Russ, R-U-S-S dot Cordell, C-O-R-D-L-E at Abundant Life church.org and uh, I'll say that again in just a moment so you can grab a pen, write it down, type it on your laptop, whatever you're doing Um, I'm going to keep those questions confidential but I thought it would be a great opportunity to just allow you to ask questions anything that's on your heart or mind today whatever it may be about the church, doctrine the future of abundant life, the direction we're going, the vision of the pastor even things relative to today's crisis I'd be happy to uh, engage with you on those and, and bring some peace and some Understanding for those who are wondering. Again, uh, send those, uh, email your questions by Tuesday uh, evening at Russ, R U S S dot Cordell, C O R D as in David L E, at Abundant Life Church dot org. And we're going to have a great time on Wednesday night. I'm, I'm very encouraged by some of the questions I've already received. It's going to be a great evening, and I really look forward to that. And again, those will be kept confidential. Excuse me. And then on Friday, uh, the 10th, this week, Friday, we're going to have our virtual communion service. So hopefully you can get a hold of some uh, soda crackers or something like that and some juice. God will honor whatever it is that you're capable of putting together. Uh, the important thing isn't necessarily the elements per se as much as it is that we honor him. And as it says in the word, to continue to do that in memoriam. Uh, for him. And then finally on uh, uh, Easter Sunday at 10 o'clock will be our regular service and we're going to have a great time as we dive into the word and honor God on Resurrection Sunday. All right, so without further ado, I'm going to dive on into the word today. My message to you this morning, I wanted to bring a message of encouragement. I felt like God was really just building my spirits and and raising me up as I began to study and uh, and follow his direction. So I want to preach to you today about triumphant, triumphant. Today is Palm Sunday. Today is the day that we recognize and we honor the day when Jesus Christ, just a week before the day he was to be resurrected and ascend into heaven, a week before that day, he strode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, triumphant as a king, as they worshiped him, as they sang Hosanna, and they laid down their clothing and their articles of clothing before him. They laid down palm leaves before him, and they honored him as he entered into Jerusalem. And we celebrate and we memorialize that day today. If you'll go with me this morning into the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read a few of the verses there with you, and then we'll go on into our message this morning. Matthew chapter 1, excuse me, Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 1, says this. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Sion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek and sitting upon a donkey and a colt, 
the foal of a donkey. That's referencing the prophet Isaiah, excuse me, Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says clearly, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Those in the house this morning can be seated. Thank you for honoring the word of God. What a wonderful reflection. As I've said to you many times in these sessions, the Old Testament, the prophecies of the Old Testament, the prophets told the story of what was to come. They told the story of Jesus. It was God's plan from the very beginning that he would bring the Redeemer, that he would bring Jesus into this place and begin this ministry. Zechariah told the story as so as well as Isaiah and many of the other prophets. But I want to point out a couple things about that prophecy before I go further. First of all, I think it's, under, it's important to understand and, and to recognize a few things. First of all, it is not insignificant that Jesus called, as the, as the prophet had said, he'd called for a donkey. There's, a, there's a, a considerable difference in what he could have rode into Jerusalem on. He could have rode into Jerusalem on a horse. But you need to understand this morning that the donkey, it represented peace. It represented humility. A donkey is not an animal of war. A horse is an animal of war. And, and, and uh, it's part of the, the army. And, and what, what would represent to the Roman citizenry and the Jews at Jerusalem, it would be somewhat more of a warring thing, a challenging thing. That's not the God that we serve. We serve a righteous and a triumphant king, but one who is humble, one who is bringing peace. And that was what was represented there. Also, it says in, the, in Zechariah, in that place, it says to the king, righteous and having salvation is he. It's important to know that as he came in, they shouted Hosanna. We sang it this morning uh, in praise and worship to God. The word Hosanna literally means salvation. Salvation, please, is what it literally translates. Says And notice that Zechariah says it there, having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He came in peace, not in war. He didn't come to attack. He didn't come to get into a, a, a battle. He came in peace and to represent his message this one last time before he was to sacrifice himself for our sins. Verse 6 goes on to say, And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they sat him thereon. He rolled, understand, he rode on the colt, the, 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 the one that was unridden, the one that was, that was brand new, the colt who was not broken. And very, a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. The gospel of John in chapter 12 says it more specifically it says palm branches hence we call it Palm Sunday, seven days prior to his resurrection, five days prior to Passover Friday, the day that he was crucified. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that type and shadow that's there. The reason he was crucified on Passover, it was not an accident. That was the day and the time of, of captivity that the Israelites were instructed to sacrifice a lamb, to kill a perfect lamb and to take its blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintels of their homes for protection. We're going to talk about that more on Friday because he was crucified. Our lamb, our Jesus, our Savior was crucified. He was the lamb sacrificed sacrificed on the day of Passover once again. 
Palm branches, if you did not know this, were a sign of victory and triumph. They were a sign of victory and triumph. In the Greco-Roman culture of the Roman Empire, which obviously strongly influenced Christian tradition because they ruled the world at the time, they were even, uh, the Christians were under submission of the Roman rule, the palm branch was a symbol of triumph. It was a symbol of victory. It became the most common attribute of the goddess that we know as Nike. Yeah, that's right, the goddess Nike, the the very one that uh, the shoe company named themselves after. As a matter of fact, the goddess is pictured with wings, and she's always in sort of that swoop-shaped motion, pardon my my stance, and uh, holding a a diadem of palm leaves in a a wreath format that she would wear on her head, and that is the goddess Nike, the Roman version. You know, there's always a Greek and a Roman version of these gods. The Roman version, her name was Victoria, Victoria. And so it, it is a representation of victory and they were casting them down before Jesus as they hailed him as the king coming into Jerusalem. Verse 9 says, and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna, as I said, salvation, thank you, is the literal translation to the son of David. Blessed is he that come in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. It is not an accident that they referenced him that way. It's not an accident there was was wondering of who he was. There were many who yet not had heard the word. There were Roman citizens that had not understood. They don't know what's happening. And the multitude declaring him as Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. See, Nazareth was a city of nothing. It was, it was kind of a dirt hole. It didn't, nothing came from Nazareth. It's, it would be shocking to them to hear that this prophet came from such a place in this area of Galilee. But again, that speaks to his humble beginnings. It speaks to his humility. It speaks to the Savior that he was. He was hailed as a king and praised, but he had a mission, and he was there to pick a fight, in my opinion. His first mission was very clear. As he came into Jerusalem, he, and when I say he was on a mission, if you follow from chapter 21 on through the rest of the book of Matthew, you see very distinct, very powerful, very poignant he wasn't there to war on a horse, but he was sure there to pick a fight with the Jewish leadership, those that, have, that had confounded him and constantly come against him, those that had stopped others from worshiping, worshiping him and believing in him. Those, the Jewish Sadducees and the Pharisees and the leadership, the chief priests, they literally held people back from worshiping the true God. Now, I hope you hear me today. I hope you hear the words that I say and you understand the type and shadow of what this represents, what this point in time and this point in Jesus represents his ministry, what it represents to us today. The chief priests, the leadership, the ones that were secular, that cared more about their power, they cared more about their money, they cared more about control of the people than they did the one true savior who was presented before them. His first mission, very clear, coming into the temple, he addressed the money changers. What was happening in the temple at the time? The temple, the church, the temple at Jerusalem, the center of God's universe, had become a place uh, of, of graft and greed and corruption. See, at that time, the people, the, the people needed to bring uh, their offerings. Usually it was doves because they were poor. And, and so the only money that was typically changing around was, was considered pagan money. The Roman coins had, had graven images on them. And so they had to exchange money and, and so that they could purchase 
purchase their, their, uh, their sacrifices. And, and so this became a, 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 period, a point of graft and greed. As a matter of fact, outside the temple, they could purchase doves out in the countryside for, for mere pennies. And it was said that inside the temple with the money changers, they were it sometimes 20 times more they were charging for those doves because they were profiteering. The love of money had taken hold. And so Jesus comes in and, and, and you know, I know that oftentimes we think of Jesus as, as, as the humble and gentle soul that he was, quiet spoken, man of few words, just instruction, speaking in parables. But this Jesus got a fiery indignation within him and he rolled into the temple and he began to turn the tables over and chastise those money changers. He wanted to clean the temple. He wanted to make the church right for his message. He was bringing change. He was bringing righteousness back to the church. His next step then was to heal the lame and the blind. He called them into the temple. This too, by law, had not been allowed. The lame and the blind were kept in the outer courts of the temple. He defied all of that. He said, my church isn't for the rich and the wealthy necessarily. That's not what this is all about. They can come and go as they please. They have their wealth. They have the things that they need. But the lame and the blind and the poor are cast to the outer parts of the church. I'm telling you today, church, the message to us is that we reach out to the broken. We reach out to those that are lame and blinded. The ones that, the, the, that modern uh, uh, Christianity and, and organized graft Christianity has taken people and they've, they've housed them and set them outside. We don't care about the blind. We don't care about the lame. But God is saying, no, that's not right. The place for them is right here in the church. They should be at the forefront. James chapter 2 talks about a time. If you look at a person in your church and you see their, it says they're gay and wonderful, expensive clothing, and you give them high seats in the house, and you, don't, and you honor them highly above others, and the poor man comes in the poor clothing, and he's downtrodden, and he looks different than you, and you cast him in the outer parts of the church, you are cursed. It's a, it's a straightforward message that we are to honor and to love and, and, and the least of those that God is looking for. And so he, he healed the, the lame and the blind right inside the temple. He got rid of the greed and the business aspect of the church. The love of the money was gone. After he had strolled through there, the church can get back to its true pur purpose, and, uh, and it was his intention. The second day, uh, we know that Jesus goes out into the morning. Another significant step, another mission that he makes, another statement that he's making. I think it's important to understand. He goes out into the morning and it, the, the word says that he's hungered. You can follow me in, in chapter 21. I'm still in chapter 21. It says that he's hungered and he comes to a fig tree. A fig tree with leaves but no figs. Understand that it's understood that these fig trees, the fruit was born first before the leaves now, Pastor, why is that important? Well, I'm going to tell you that when Jesus recognizes that and sees that there's no fruit on the tree, he curses it, and the tree withers and dies. See, the tree had borne no fruit before it had its leaves. That's not the way it's supposed to go. Here's the type and shadow. Fig leaves, as in the time of Adam and Eve. Anybody remember what they constructed their, their aprons of self-righteousness out of? They constructed them out of fig leaves. See, that was a representation that when they sinned, they knew that they were naked and they'd sinned before God. They defied his word and took of the fruit of the tree that they should not have touched. 
Did they go to him in repentance? Did they follow his word? Did they seek God out and repent for what they'd done? No, they grabbed fig leaves and sewed themselves aprons. It was a form of self-righteousness. They defined for them what was the forgiveness of their sins. They defined for them what was their righteousness. And so just as Jesus looks at this fig tree again, this tree is bearing its own righteousness, but it has no fruit. What is that representation for today? It means the work that we're to do, that he's called us to do. We need to bear fruit before we can take on and own that righteousness. The righteousness comes second. The fruit comes first. It was a clear statement to you and I of what his expectation was of his followers. Thank you, Jesus, for that message. We can manufacture our own righteousness. We can decide in our hearts which parts of the word of God that we want to attain to, which ones that we feel are comfortable and good. I've said to my congregation many times, it's not my job to make you feel comfortable, or excuse me, to make you feel comfortable. It's my job to make you feel welcome. It's my job to to expose you to the word of God in a way that gets deep into your heart and you understand what Christ is expecting of you. Next, he begins to go after the Pharisees and the chief priests. I told you, he came to pick a fight. There's a series of questions and parables that he discusses. He's essentially describing their own terrible behavior and the way they're rejecting him and not listening to God's plan. If you read through those parables, uh, he he talks to them and they begin to recognize, as you see in the word there in chapter 21, it says that they begin to recognize he's talking about them. He's not being real subtle in in these particular cases. But he's reflecting on the fact that, that so many times the prophets and, and the pastors were sent and the ministers were sent and they were rejected. The prophets were stoned and killed. He's talking to these Pharisees and these chief priests who refuse to recognize the messages that are being sent from God. So much so that the Son of God, God manifest in the flesh, standing directly before them and they're rejecting him as well. And he's telling him directly to their face. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the husband of the vineyard. Again, examples, uh, examples again and again that, that the word was sent to you. The word was sent to you, but you killed them and you rejected them. And then the son arrives and, 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 and presents the word himself and you kill him too. He's giving us a snapshot of, of the horrific downfall and failure of the leadership at that time. In chapter 24, it's even more that he begins. He brings the parable of the wedding banquet, uh, which which he likens again to the kingdom of heaven. I've told my church many times throughout the parables, every time you hear Jesus say the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. You've got to tune into those words. That is the message of salvation. He's giving us a message of how we're supposed to read and understand that, the things that we need to do to correct within ourselves if we want to attain that kingdom. And again and again, and again throughout the word, throughout his parables, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. In the parable of the wedding banquet, he says it again. And he talks about the guests that are invited. And they reject him and they reject him. He's talking about his own people, the the people who are guests of the king, invitees of the king. And they reject him and turn away. They've got other things to do. They're too busy. I've got to go to my job. I've got to do other things that are more important. And he says, finally, forget all them. Go out into the highways and byways and find those who are willing to come. He's talking about turning that message to the Gentiles, to the world that needs him. Another message we need to tune into. 
Jesus used the wedding as an example many times. He refers to himself as the bridegroom. Uh, he refers to the relationship between the church and his people as the bride and the bridegroom. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. He uses that very often. And I have a message that God has laid upon my heart. In the, in the next short couple of weeks, I'll be bringing to you a message of the Jewish wedding. I want you to tune into that. It's powerful. It's from the word of God. And it describes exactly the message that we need to understand about our relationship with God. In chapter 23, it gets real good. Now he's really picking a fight. This is the chapter as he's speaking to the, to, the, to the scribes and the Pharisees. He gives them both barrels. And he says again and again throughout that scripture in chapter 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Again and again throughout those words. And he tells them their failings. He tells them specifically the horrific things that they do. I'll let you read through that chapter. Read chapter 23 as he calls them down for the things that they're doing wrong and their failures and that pretty much seals the deal for him they're going to get him now his will his plan to be the sacrificial lamb for us Calvary but we know he's going to triumph through him we can triumph in his name but I'm going to talk more about Calvary and the triumph of Calvary next week on Easter Sunday. But I will say this, if we are true followers of Jesus, we have the promises of triumph throughout his word. You need to understand that no matter what this life brings, the triumph, again, is in his name. We enjoy it. We enjoy it every day. I've enjoyed it many times throughout life, knowing that God is working specifically in my life. The challenges have come before me and falling to my knees in prayer and, and, and see God literally answer prayer right before me. Miracles performed in my family, miracles in my finances, providing me a home and a myriad of other things in health and, and, and just life in general, answering prayer, being there when we need him. The triumph is in his name. We can be triumphant. You can be triumphant today if you're just willing, if you're just willing to hear his word and understand what he's expecting you of his relationship look at what the word promises those who are true and faithful followers great reminders to encourage and embolden you to keep the fight keep up the good fight of faith this is from the word of God I want to encourage you with it today I want to embolden you today I want you to hear these words and stand up and say yes I want to be a part of this I want to take hold of this thing God's word is real listen to what he says if you submit to God and resist the devil he will flee from you in James chapter 4 the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Second Chronicles. He says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions on over all the power of the enemy in Luke chapter 10. And he also says, no weapon formed against you will prosper in Isaiah chapter 54. These are words that you can declare as you're going through life's challenges. If you're seeking God, if you're calling out to him, learn these words. Stand before the the enemy when things are coming against you and declare Isaiah chapter 54 call on the enemy and say devil no weapon formed against me will prosper according to his word 
Through you, we will push down our enemies. Through your name, we will trample those who rise up against us in Psalm 44. But you and I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. The Lord is a shield to all who trust him in 2 Samuel 22. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in Philippians chapter 4. The Lord is my strength and my shield in Psalm 28. He gives power to the weak and those that have no might in Isaiah 40. He who cleans his hands is isn't it apropos for today? How many times have we heard in the last several weeks, wash your hands, wash your hands. Well, the Bible says that he who has cleans his hands will be stronger and strong. Job chapter 17, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. The God of my strength in him will I trust. 2 Samuel 22 again, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 27. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalm 118. If God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans chapter 8. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces from heaven. He will thunder against them. In 1 Samuel chapter 2. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up against him a standard. In Isaiah chapter 59. For he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in in all your ways in Psalm 91. And lastly, behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared, Exodus chapter 23. He was talking about the land of Canaan. Of course, we know in the Old Testament that's a type and shadow of heaven itself. In my father's house, there are many mansions and I go to prepare a place for you and if it were not so, I would not have said it. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. That's the promise for following him, folks. That's the promise for hearing his word, understanding why he made this sacrifice. Do you understand that if his word wasn't true, if Jesus Christ wasn't true and who he said he was and the word wasn't what it was and it wasn't a true word for the world, it would have made him the greatest fool in history. The man that sacrificed himself, he endured one of the greatest uh, painful tortures and crucifixions and death known to mankind. A scourging flesh torn from his back, crown of thorns pressed upon his head, beaten, spat upon called by the very people who called his name, the people who a week beforehand had hailed him as king and glorified him and laid the palms before him. Those very people called for his crucifixion, desperately hurting him deeply as his creation called him down. If the words that he brought were not true, if he was not who he said he was, that makes him the greatest fool in history. These scriptures that I just read to you, these are just a handful of the many, many promises in God's word that he will be with us, that he'll help us fight the fight. He goes up before us. He fights the fight for us, the good fight of faith. And the word says that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Challenging you this morning, diligently seek him. Continue to diligently seek him. Seek to live by his word. I'm gonna close with this this morning. Because there's something very exciting that's tied to this. You know, we understand, and many of us have made, the, made the, the connection, that while Palm Sunday was the day that they laid the actual palm fronds on the ground, isn't it interesting to know that those of us understand that the Bible says that we lift up holy hands before him. 
And for some of you, this is foreign. I understand. You see those holy rollers, those hand raisers, but we lift up our hands because the word of God says, lift up holy hands and praise and worship him. I want you to understand that I'm holding before you two palms. And we stand in our church and we wave our palms, glorious, and we sing Hosanna. Someday, someday we get a Palm Sunday of our own. Listen to what the word of God says as I'm closing this morning. Revelation chapter 7 at verse 9, it says this. It says, after this I beheld, this is John the Revelator speaking, and lo, a great multitude which no man can number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And what were they saying? Verse 10 says, And cry, they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb, that sacrificial Lamb. Jump down to verse 13. Verse 13 says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, Which are these that are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. They were baptized in Jesus' name. As I've preached to you before in these sessions, they were baptized in Jesus' name. They made their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. In verse 15 Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all their tears from their eyes. This is the promise to us, folks. This is the meaning of Palm Sunday. It's why Jesus strode triumphantly into into Jerusalem, only to face his certain death. We can be triumphant this morning. We can serve him this morning. We have that promise waiting for us. This morning, I'm going to open our altar for our team. And again, I encourage you, let's stand this morning together wherever you are. Go to God in prayer. If you haven't repented of your sins, if you've still battled back and forth with this whole Christian thing, this living for God thing, if you haven't quite been there, today's your day. Today is your opportunity. He's just simply looking for an earnest heart to repent of your sins, is to cleanse your heart. Jesus said, I can't put my spirit into old wineskins. He, he, he wants you to clear. He wants you to clean that wine skin. He wants you to, a, a clean place to dwell. And if you talk to him quietly to yourself, you don't have to confess to another man. You confess it to God and you talk to him. God, I haven't lived my life the way I should have. I haven't dedicated myself yet to do to, today. But today, Lord, I want to make a change. I want to make a difference, Jesus. God, I ask you this moment, Lord, of all the things that I'm guilty of, Lord, I'm asking you forgiveness today, Jesus. I'm asking you, God, if you could blot those things out, if you could forgive them, Lord, put them under your blood, Jesus. God, forgive me, please. Cleanse my heart today. I want to serve you. I want to begin living for you today. 
In your name, I pray in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you feel so uh, pressed and you need to call out some things to him privately, to yourself, but to God and, 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 and specific things that you want to leave at the altar, leave in his hands to take off of you, do it. Talk to him. He'll receive it from you and forgive you. The Bible says he'll forgive and he'll forget those things. They're blotted out from his memory. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, for every soul right now with their heads bowed and their eyes closed. God, they're reaching out to you this morning. They're asking you forgiveness, God. They know they haven't lived right. They haven't lived according to your word. But they want to take part of this salvation. They want to take part of this triumphant life. God, I ask a blessing upon everyone that's got their head bowed today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. That next step, now it doesn't come automatically. It doesn't happen just because we say it. Repentance is the first step. It's just the first step, folks. But the Bible says if you're good and you're faithful and you pray and you reach out to him and you submit to him, he will fill you with his spirit. By the evidence of speaking in other tongues in Jesus' name right now, God, I pray to every soul that's watching this broadcast this morning, those that are reaching their hearts out today, they're saying, God, I don't understand this, this tongues thing this guy's talking about. I don't know what it means, but it's over and over and over again in your word. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.